All right, let's go to Isaiah chapter 40 again this morning. We've been spending a number of weeks uh, in this particular chapter as we've been going through this uh, series entitled The God of All Comfort. And I certainly hope that throughout this series you have found just that. You have found God to be um, all that He said He would be and more. And uh, that is a wonderful truth to know uh, that God is much more than what we even thought. And today we're going to be looking at Isaiah 40 and looking at verse number 11. All right, so we've been building here. We've dealt with the first 10 verses already. And this morning we want to look at this uh, second element of behold your God. And uh, we'll see this in verse number 11. Uh, Here's what it says. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. You'll see that expression there in verse number 11 that begins this verse. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. We're continuing to consider this extraordinary picture that we've been given regarding the coming Messiah. And we're being given this instruction, remember, through the prophet Isaiah. And Isaiah, as he's been teaching us and guiding us, remember he had promised to Israel and promised to his people as they went in, would go into Babylonian captivity, he had promised them that there would be a deliverer. Uh, he, was, he was very honest with them. He told them that they will not all come out, but there will be a remnant. There will be a deliverer. There will be a restorer. And in the same token, God has promised Even in this dark world in which we live in, God has promised that He has sent a Redeemer into the world to rescue sinful man. We have a Redeemer. We have a Redeemer who didn't just come to fit in or to be part of something. He came to rescue and redeem and to ransom those who are His own. He came with a definite purpose. Not responding to what man would do, but rather according to the purposes of God. One of those things about being a redeemer is that he has, in fact, will come to deal with enemies of the cross. He will come to deal with enemies of humanity in general. All the forces that are set against us today as believers, Jesus Christ would come to be a redeemer from all those things. Whatever force has set up against you today, whatever force has set up against me today, Jesus Christ has delivered you from it. You've already been delivered. It doesn't feel like it some days, but you've already been delivered. You are living already a victorious life, or we should be. So this picture that we received last week in verse number 10 is in a And really, a stark contrast to describing who God is in verse 11. Because remember, in verse 10, it said, Behold, your God, or the God, will come with a strong hand, and His arm shall rule for Him. Behold, His reward is with Him, and His work before Him. You see the strength and the power of God. And then in very stark contrast, you see this mighty God, this one who will rule with a strong arm, this one who will, uh, who, will, who will rule in power and strength is now being described as a shepherd. It's the same God. The same God who has 
conquered the devil and hell and grave and sin, who will conquer it all through Jesus Christ, is the same God who's described as a shepherd. Now, when we think about the word shepherd, we think of something that's gentle. We think of something that is a little bit uh, uh, more compassionate. And remember, it's the same God. The same God with a strong arm is the same God who's a shepherd. Notice, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. It's important to know that not every person who lives or has lived is part of the flock of God. It would be inaccurate for us to say all of the world is his flock. But it would be accurate to say that all of those who are in Christ today are part of his flock and he is in fact their shepherd. So we know today if you have repented of your sin, you've believed on Christ alone, you in fact are part of that flock. You are his sheep and he is your shepherd. It's really extraordinary that in this 11th verse, we seem to what appears to be an entirely different picture, but it is the picture of the same God. A shepherd is often characterized by his tenderness. He's often characterized by his gentleness, his patience, his long-suffering, his understanding. This is a vital part of the message of the gospel. We have many people who break the gospel up into two different avenues. That they only preach a God of wrath and they never preach a God of compassion, or they only preach a God of compassion and not the God of wrath. The gospel is both. The same God of wrath is the same God who is the great shepherd. The tenderness and the compassion and the wrath of God, the love of God, all of these things we read there in Job. God is holy and great. He doesn't take off one robe and put another one on. So in other words, when He's the shepherd, He's still the God of wrath. When He is the God of wrath, He's still the shepherd. He doesn't, I'm giving it as an illustration, He doesn't take one off and put the other one on and say, okay, now I'm not the God of wrath. He's always the God of wrath and He's always the God of compassion. All at the same time. He doesn't put off one. He is the same through and through. So these are two aspects of the same God that Isaiah is proclaiming. They are both true and it would be dangerous And I think it'd be doctrinal error to not accept that. In other words, if I was to say, well, I believe one part of that, but I don't believe the other, that would put us in error. God is essentially so strong, but yet at the same time can be so tender and so gentle that he cares for the life of his sheep. Our God is one. Three persons in one. The same always today, yesterday, and forever. The view of him depends on the person who's looking. Who you think God is depends on who's looking at Him, but He is always the same. Many people don't like the God who comes with a strong arm. They don't like the God that we saw in verse number 10, who will rule. But they love the teaching on the shepherd. But yet again, we would miss the reality of who He is. So notice again, He shall feed His flock. So we know this about God. We know this, that Isaiah, as he was proclaiming and predicting, prophesying that Messiah would come, Christ will have and does have a distinct and peculiar people. It's referred to in the New Testament as a little flock. It's referred to as one that is little yet beautiful. It is a flock that is 
uh, not majestic in its appearance, but yet it's his flock. It's the flock that was given to the Son by the Father. We've learned that in our teachings in John. That the flock that Jesus Christ is shepherd of was given to him by the Father. Now, we weren't given because we were something to give. Uh, It wasn't because we were giftable. It's because God is just that good. It's not because he looked at us and said, now, son, I really want you to have a perfect gift. I want you to have these people. Because they're perfect. No, he gave them to him because they needed a savior. They needed a shepherd. They needed because of their sin. And yet, here this shepherd, Christ who would come, this flock that was given by the designation of the Father's appointment, Christ himself consents to be the shepherd, and he is in fact a good shepherd. We understand that Christ, as we studied the New Testament, his life as a shepherd was revealed by the fact that he was willing and did lay down his life for the sheep. In addition to that loving as a good shepherd, we know that the Bible says he's referred to as the chief shepherd, but that he would also give under shepherds who would help the flocks, his flocks. Those under shepherds are what we refer to in our churches as pastors. They're ministers. They're people that are simply under shepherds. They're not the chief shepherd. They're not a good shepherd even. They're just shepherds who are given the responsibility to care for part of God's flock. No matter how small, no matter how large, every pastor is an under-shepherd. And he simply is to take care of that flock. Now, Jesus Christ himself can perform many things that the under-shepherd can't do. The under-shepherd cannot perform the entirety of the office. Now, the under-shepherd can be careful. He can be compassionate. He can be faithful to a point but he can't be the perfect shepherd. But Christ is. Jesus Christ performs the whole office as a shepherd. He not only provides spiritual food for his flock, he provides physical food for his flock. He leads them beside still waters. He leads them into green pastures. Christ provides for his church by appointing and ordaining under shepherds to feed them with his doctrine. This morning, you've come to a banqueting table, and that banqueting table is being provided by God Himself. It's not the result of me or any other pastor. It's the result Jesus Christ is feeding His flock through the under-shepherds through His Word. He's teaching us doctrine. We know the Lord Himself referred to Himself as that He would feed His people with Himself, the bread of life, His flesh, His blood. The shepherd also protects us from all enemies. He protects us from Satan. He protects us from wolves in sheep's clothing. False teachers. He takes notice of them. He knows who they are. He knows where they are. The false teachers. But He also, more importantly, knows where His sheep are. Do you know Christ has never lost track of one of them? Now, we lose track of people all the time. People you knew 20 years ago, you know nothing about them anymore. You lost track of them. 
Christ never loses track of any of his sheep. He never wakes up one day and says, where did that one go? He knows all about them. He is a perfect shepherd. None shall be lost. Remember, he described himself as being the shepherd who would come to seek and to save that which was lost. He would bring back that one that was driven away. He would bind up the brokenhearted. He would strengthen and heal the sick. And he would watch over them day and night so that no one would hurt them. Now what's interesting is this exposition of Isaiah 40.11 is actually expounded in the Bible itself. In other words, there was an expositional preacher long before I started expositionally preaching. In John chapter number 10, Jesus himself expounds Isaiah 40.11. John 10 is an exposition of Isaiah 40 verse 11. John 10 is about Jesus Christ declaring himself to be the what? The good shepherd. He says, I am the one that Isaiah was speaking about in verse number 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. So what is happening here in John 10 and what we need to see in Isaiah 40 verses, verse 11 is that the Lord himself and Isaiah prophesies this, that the Lord divides the world into two groups. Those who are his sheep and those who are not. That's the summation of mankind. There aren't 20 categories of humans. There are those that are his and those that are not. There are those who are the sheep and those who are not. So who is Isaiah talking about and who is Jesus speaking about? He's speaking about those that are his sheep. This text cannot be claimed by the world. Now, I'll say something a little bit unpopular with, with people in general. This does not refer to that the flock is the United States of America. Okay, this, this doesn't mean that. Um, it's actually, again, this will probably rub some the wrong way, and it's okay, sometimes things do. It is inaccurate to declare any entire nation a Christian nation. You can't do it. Now, I love the United States of America. I make no bones about it. I love it. I love the freedoms. I love what we experience. But we cannot just say, God says the entirety of the United States is his flock. Because he doesn't just have flock, people, sheep in the United States. He has them in every country in the world. It's impossible for an entire nation to be his sheep. But there are people within those. So what's happening here in Isaiah and what we're going to see in John 10 as we refer to it is that Isaiah declares a relationship that Jesus Christ confirms. Okay? So Isaiah in Isaiah 40:11 declares there's a relationship his flock and Jesus Christ in his exposition confirms the relationship. Like a shepherd the word shepherd there again, Isaiah is declaring what the nature of that work of the Lord is. He works as a shepherd. Those works cannot be numbered. Those works are various. Those works uh, are different depending on the need. But the first thing that we notice about this is that he talks about this relationship. The first thing that's true about believers is that you do in fact have a unique and special relationship with Almighty God. You have a relationship that the whole world cannot claim. 
Now, there are many people who claim the name Christian who know nothing about being a Christian. They know nothing about being a believer. They're told they're a Christian because of something that they do or something that they say or something that they give. But Jesus says, and Isaiah prophesied it, that he would have a flock of people that there would be a special relationship to. So when we look in John 10, when Jesus expounds this, you'll see he divides them into his sheep and those who are not. So you've got to realize not everybody is in this relationship. Not everybody we want to be in this relationship is in this relationship. Parents desperately want their children to have this relationship. But willing it in your mind and declaring it to be so doesn't make it so. That child, when they're able, must come to a state of repentance themselves and must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ in themselves. As parents, as grandparents, what we do is we pray that God through His Spirit would open their eyes so that they might have that special relationship. But being born into a Christian home does not mean they're part of the relationship. So Isaiah doesn't describe every part of what a shepherd does. Where That's where Jesus expounds, and we'll see this in a moment, where the shepherd is and what he does. You can divide people into nations. You can divide people into nationalities. You can divide people into race. But none of those divisions determine whether or not a person has that relationship or not. And I want you to think about what I just said. That is so vitally important. Your nationality, your race, whatever you, that does not determine this relationship. And there are none, there are no races that are limited who cannot be into this relationship. None. And I would tell you that a man that would say that, you should run away from that man as quickly as you can. Because we've got to remember, this relationship is not based upon anything that man is. It's not based on anything that man does. You know, the shepherd chooses the sheep. In the, in the agricultural world, the, the sheep don't choose the shepherd. Now, they learn. They learn the shepherd's voice. Jesus makes that statement in John 10. So that they won't go to others. They learn the voice. Now, again... Jesus will have such a, a, a depth to this. But Isaiah compares Jesus to the shepherd. A shepherd is one who has an infinite love for the sheep. We just realize in verse 10 of Isaiah, we realize that in another passage, he's described as being armed with strength and power. That's the same arm that defends his people, but then tenderly cares for them as a shepherd. I'm glad to know that our Savior has a gentle character. And you should be glad about that. You should be glad that He doesn't deal with us like we deserve. You should be humbled by the reality that you've given Him no reason in your life, no reason at all, for Him to continue to love you 
And yet He still keeps loving you and He still keeps taking care of you. He keeps feeding you. He keeps protecting you. And it's not because He owes you. Because you've done nothing worthy to be called His sheep. He describes Himself and Jesus begins to make this statement that clarifies that the children of Israel, we do know that God's own chosen people. And we know that there was a time in that, when that particular people were chosen and others were not. We know the passages, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. We understand that those other nations were nations that were given over to worshiping other gods. Like it or not, God has always had the choice. He's never asked man to approve of his choice. He's never counseled man to say, Are you, do you approve the ones I've chosen to be my sheep? Do you approve of me making them a peculiar people? No. That's why we read Job 25 and 26. He does what he wants to do, and he does not seek counsel as to what he should do. So this relationship that Isaiah is declaring... Also, as we read John 10, we're going to see at the same time, he's going to declare an ownership. So Isaiah declares a relationship and an ownership, and Jesus in John 10 confirms them both. In other words, he said, yes, with my sheep, I have a relationship, but here's even more important than that. I own them. A lot of people want a relationship, but they get offended by the term own. One of the most popular American cliches is, you don't own me. You don't have a right to tell me. God does. You want the relationship, but you don't want the ownership. You want Him to be your Lord and Savior, but you don't want Him to be, for lack of a better term, your boss. You don't want Him to tell you what to do. I just want the benefits of the relationship, but I don't want you to be in charge of me. That's a half gospel that's preached when you just say, you just want a relationship, don't worry about ownership. That's a, that's a half gospel, if the gospel at all. See, he doesn't just say, come into a relationship. He says, this is not only a relationship, but you belong to me. And by the way, none of you belong to me. None of you belong to another pastor anywhere. You've never belonged to a pastor. You belong to him if you're in Christ. I just, for some unknown reason, stand up here and get to teach the Bible and get to, to help shepherd you and help walk with you and help care for you. But I'm not the chief shepherd. I have no ownership rights to you. You answer to God. Now I can tell you, I don't think that's pleasing to God. I can counsel you. I can pray with you. I can cry with you. I can rejoice with you. But ultimately, God owns you. God owns me. So let's look at this in John 10 and notice the language that Jesus uses. And again, we've, this, is, this has been a while, but we studied entirely through John 10 as we've been going through our exposition of John. But notice, Jesus had said to them in verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name. 
Notice that. He calls his own sheep by name, which leadeth them out. When he putteth forth his own sheep, notice how many times the phrase his own sheep, he goeth before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him for they know not the voice of strangers. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. So put this in perspective. He's speaking a parable and the people he's speaking it to do not understand what he's talking about. Now remember, the only reason you and I have understanding of who God is this morning is because we're given understanding and discernment by the Holy Spirit of God. It's not because you're smart. It's not because you're educated. It's not because you're intellectual and that you're just, you're gifted. I've met some spiritually gifted Christians in my life. They truly believe I'm gifted above you. I have the spiritual gift that you don't possess. The only reason any of us understand anything I've said to this point this morning is because God has given us discernment. And that's it. Now, I can study to show myself approved. I'm told to study myself approved, but it's not my study. It's as I read the word, I'm given understanding. As your pastor, I'm not more spiritually gifted than you are. I'm just called to something different than you. But this isn't giftedness per se. This is the power of God. So he says that this parable spoke Jesus. Then said Jesus again, or unto them again, Verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Now Jesus, I believe, is, he is referring to the Pharisees and the false teachers. He's referring to those who came and their intent was to rob and to steal and to destroy. But look what he says. I am the door, verse 9. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that he might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Jesus declares there's a relationship. He refers to them as his own sheep. There is an ownership. This is not a shared ownership. Your salvation, you are not, you are not in partnership with God. You are not 50-50 owner to your rights. He owns you 100%. He doesn't consult you before he makes a decision. He doesn't ask you, is it okay if I allow this affliction into your life? He doesn't ask you if it's okay for Him to take the steps that He does in order to feed you and provide for you and to take care of you. He does this because He owns you. I don't like to be owned. I don't either. You know what it takes to realize you're owned? It takes a, it takes a big dose of humility to admit, I don't own me. Even the Apostle Paul said you were bought with a price. If I go to the store and I buy something off the shelf, I pay, quote unquote, the ransom that it costs to get that off the shelf. If I bring that home, I own it. If the supermarket calls up and says, listen, we want that item back, I tell them you can't have the item back. I paid for it. We'll bring it back. I paid for it. 
It's I own it. Jesus Christ paid for you. He paid the ransom for you. And He paid something so much more than a, than a thing like money. He didn't pay money for you. He shed His blood for you. He died in your place for you. And yet, we have trouble with this ownership aspect. He says, I am the good shepherd. He knows them by name. He knows each one of us individually. So to know Christ means to be in a personal relationship to Him. It means that even though He is not in the world today, He is yet seated at the right hand of God the Father in glory. He looks down upon this earth and He knows me. He knows every single person and He knows every single thing that you struggle with and He knows every single sin problem you have. It's frightening to me that He knows exactly what's in my heart right this moment. He knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in my head. He knows what's in your head. He knows what your motive is. He knows all about us. To be a Christian doesn't just simply mean I believe something. In other words, this is my view. No, to be a Christian means there's a relationship. That relationship is based upon ownership. If there's no ownership, there's no relationship. I cannot have a relationship with something that I do not own when it comes to God. He owns me. That's the basis of the relationship. So Isaiah declares this ownership. Christ Himself confirms it in John 10. But then notice, how did they become His flock? Now the Bible said back in Isaiah that He shall feed His flock. How did they become His flock? Well, we understand that that they became his flock because he had the rights to them. How is that? In John chapter number 10, again, notice he goes on to say in verse number 12, but he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, here's where his ownership comes in. Even so, know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So, where did he get the rights of ownership? I lay down my life. I lay down my life. Again, the Apostle Paul made mention in 1 Corinthians 6 Know ye not. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. Paul says you do not have the right to do with yourself whatever you choose to do. The Lord Jesus Christ laid down His life for you. He died for you. He paid the purchase price for you and for your soul. Peter reminds us in 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19, you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He died for us. This is the payment. He died for us, and it's because of this that He owns us. That is the relationship. Christians are His sheep because of the price He paid. So we see... Isaiah talks about he shall feed his flock. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. 
This flock describes a certain particular people. Those whom he had undertaken for himself to govern. Isaiah says he gathers them with the arm of his power by the ministry of the gospel, both to himself, to his person, to his righteousness, to his grace, and he adds them unto his church. We have got to stop looking at the church as a means of a social club and look at it that this is the result of the purchased possession and the price that Jesus Christ paid. So when you look out on all of us, you are looking at purchased possessions. Now I'm thankful, and I'm not, I am not in any way insinuating that. I don't believe there's any part of us who look at our church and say, we only exist as a social club. If anything, this church is standing and proclaiming and preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's our greatest desire. And that as people are saved and people are added to the church as he sees fit, that we disciple, we teach, we instruct, we help, we edify, we encourage. That's what we're about. That's what we're supposed to be about. We're carrying on what Jesus Christ said when I add unto my church. Yes, I'm going to be the one that will take care of them. I'm the one that will gather them into my arms. I'm the one that will protect them. When powerful enemies come and want to destroy you and want to hurt you, it is His arms that protect us. I've mentioned you over the last couple of weeks. I have, in my lifetime, and I'm, I don't consider myself old. I feel older. But I don't consider myself old. But I have not, in the last 12, 13, 14 weeks, I have never seen so many Christians so fearful. And I'm, again, I'm not saying they're not things to be afraid of. Please don't take it that way. There are things that I, I, Jen and I have talked a lot about this. There are things we didn't think we'd see in our life. We didn't think, we, we never thought we'd see it. That stuff, it always happens in other generations, not ours. <laughs> right? I mean, you read about, yeah, back in, the, back in the olden days. That kind of stuff happened in the olden days. It can't happen now. We, got, we have too much technology. We have too much civilization. We have too much intellect. We have too much education. That might be the problem. That might be the part of the problem. We have gotten into a place where we don't think we need God anymore. We're doing just fine without God. And then God allows a pandemic to come and suddenly man is brought to his knees and says, listen, I don't know how to deal with this. People say, where did this thing come from? It came from the hand of God. Now, don't ask me to give you the reasons why, because I'm not God. He didn't ask me. He didn't say, I'm going to tell you why I'm doing this. All I know is if I believe in the sovereign and providential hand of God, then everything that happens in our life is by His sovereign hand, even when I don't like it. I'm just being honest with you, folks. I'm being as transparent with you as I... There's been a lot of times God and I... Oh, put, let me rephrase it. I've tried to take, take it up to God and say, God, this isn't fair. I don't like what you're doing to me. I don't like why... And I, it's interesting. I'm always justifying why God shouldn't allow it to happen to me as if I have enough worthiness and merit to go before God and say it shouldn't happen to me. When I'm living proof of grace that has saved a person that didn't deserve to be saved... Folks, we've got to get out of our mind. You didn't deserve to be saved. You don't deserve to be kept saved. You're kept saved by the grace of God. And He takes care of you. 
He takes care of His church. God will be kind and gentle and compassionate. He even knows the weak sheep from the stronger sheep. And He doesn't kick them out because they're weaker. As a matter of fact, by gathering them in His arms, one commentator put it this way, the ones He's talking about gathering are the ones who are weaker, who needed a little bit more help. We've got this idea in our mind of what everybody should look like, what a church should be. And I'm telling you what, when you look around any church, I don't care, you pick any church in this country and in this world, you are looking at people that are all broken in some way. And I'm telling you, I had a hardcore look when I got into the ministry that was unfair. I expected, look, this is the way a church should look. Then I realized, wait a minute. We got a whole bunch of broken sheep who have a whole bunch of problems who need to be bound up and healed and helped. And that's when I started saying, look, I stopped saying, come to me, I'll fix it. You go to the Lord. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows how to fix it. He says, He carries them in His bosom and gently leads those that are with young. Now we saw there in John 10 again as he continues this thought about being purchased and being owned by Him. We also notice that Jesus also declares another aspect of who He is. Now, Isaiah declares this when we read it. He, he declares this particular term, but it's not as clear. He says, He shall feed His flock like a shepherd, shall gather the lambs with His arm, and carry them in His bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. This, this declares, Isaiah is declaring a surety ship. That's hard to say. Or a surety. A surety, by its pure definition, is a person who takes responsibility for another's performance of an undertaking. For example, they appear in the place of another or they assume the debt of another. Now Isaiah says he shall carry them. What I love about that is he doesn't say he will assist them. He will provide guidance. He'll carry them. He's going to carry them in the undertaking and the carrying out of what they're doing. Jesus Christ became that perfect surety. He took on the performance of what you and I should have been doing. We should have died. The wages of sin is death. I should be dead. I should be dead in the wages of my own sin. I should be standing up before you today as a hopeless individual saying, I can't get to God. Because God changed the rules. God said, listen, the only way you can come to me is if you're perfect. I got news for every person who lives. If it's based on your perfection or on your deeds or on your actions, nobody's getting to God. Yes. Nobody's getting there. God came looking for the sheep, not the other way around. Sheep don't want a shepherd. They just want to take care of themselves. 
They just want what they want. They, they're not concerned about the shepherd. It's the shepherd that's concerned about the sheep. And he's the one that's guiding them. And sometimes, sometimes he does have to carry them. Sometimes he actually has to go to one of his sheep and he has to carry them through it all. But you know what? Even when you don't feel like he's carrying you, that's what he's doing. You know, it's when we think we're doing okay on our own that God reminds us, you're not doing so well. You know, the worst times in my life from a mental standpoint have been the times when I looked up one day and I said, you know what? I'm doing so good spiritually. I mean, I'm reading my Bible the way I should. I'm praying the way I should. I'm, I'm looking. I'm, I'm preaching messages. I'm preaching messages like a wild man. I mean, these are great. Yeah, it happens to me. Sometimes my dumb pride, that's the only word I have. Sometimes my dumb old pride rises back up and actually thinks and says, you're doing a pretty good job. And then God says, let's see. And he makes me teach and preach something that I don't even know where to start. And he says, and I keep telling God, I don't want to preach on this anymore. I want to stop this. No, you keep preaching this. And you're going to rely on me each and every time just to prove you're not as what sufficient as you think you are. You can learn how to do things. But unless he carries us, unless he's the one that's carrying all of what we are, we go back to John 10 again and notice what he says. This, this thought continues. He says, And other sheep, verse 16, I have which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Jesus himself here is talking about the fold of Israel and the fold of the Gentile. And he said they're not all the same fold right now, but they will be brought into one. Verse 17, therefore doth my father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. That's resurrection. No man taketh it from me. That's his life, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received of my father. Now notice this. This is interesting. There was a division, therefore, again among the Jews for these sayings. When Jesus said these things, there was a division. The division was there were those who refused to acknowledge that this Messiah was theirs. We understand that as we read through the Scriptures and we go through each text, we know that we're told in this picture as, as Jesus Himself carries and gathers the comfort that's there. But there are always those who will refuse to acknowledge that he is, in fact, the shepherd. The gentleness that he speaks of, but also declaring that I own them, they are mine, and the reality is, is I paid their debt. I paid it. I'm the one that came to seek not the righteous. I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Back in John 10, verses 27 through 30, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. 
Notice who's doing the giving. I give. That's Jesus himself expounding. I give eternal life. They shall never perish. The sheep shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me, the them there is the sheep, is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. My sheep hear my voice, he says. No one can pluck them out of my hand. The security of all of God's people lies, first of all, in the character of God Himself. What life has He given us? Eternal life. Who is the one who is speaking these glorious truths? It is a perfect God. The life that Christ gives is not a life that is, is poor or just barely getting by. Friends, I'm telling you, we have to stop living like we're just getting by in this life. We have got to stop living as if we're just barely making it. Do you know you are a redeemed child of God? We're not to be shaken by everything that goes on around us. Because we have a confidence. We have a sure hope. We're in His hand. We read about the greatness of God in Job 25 and 26. Do you really believe that no one can pluck you out of His hand? If that's the case, then you have nothing to fear. You have nothing to be anxious about. Now again, does it happen? It happens to every one of us. We all get anxious. We all get fearful. But understand here, that's the message. He shall feed His flock. He'll gather the lambs. He'll carry them. He'll gently lead. He'll give you life. He'll give you food. He'll give you strength. He'll give you protection. Anything we can desire, He gives it all and He will continue to give until that day when you get called home into His presence. There is nothing that can happen to you that God does not permit. Nothing. And you say, preacher, you have no idea what God's permitted in my life. No, and you don't know everything God's permitted in my life. But the minute I begin to reject and refuse that God has a sovereign right to do with me and this world as He sees fit. It's not based on what I understand or don't understand. The question this morning is, is do you know His voice? Do you know the voice of this shepherd? Do you hear Him? Do you recognize Him? Do you belong to Him? But also, are you following Him? He said, my sheep don't just know my voice, they follow me. They obey me. There are people who say, listen, I, I heard the voice of God and you ask them, are you following Him? They say, no, but, but I, I know Him. If you know Him, you're going to follow Him. If you really believe everything that Isaiah said and everything that Jesus in His own exposition said, you're going to have no problem with who owns you. You're not going to, have a, you're not going to be asking God, God, can I, own, can I just keep a little peace for myself? Can I just keep a little back? No, He has full ownership. 
Sadly, there are many people who in a time of crisis will call upon a God that they don't acknowledge. Now again, I believe there are people that their life circumstances have brought them to a place where they were brought to repentance. But you cannot call it on a God you don't know. You can't. You can't pray. People say all the time, is it proper for an unbeliever to pray to a God? And I say, why would you pray to a God you don't believe in? Because they want the benefits of a relationship, but they don't want the requirements of ownership. A lot of people want the ability to pray, but they just don't want God to have any other aspect of their life. They say, this is my relationship with God over here, but then the rest of my life is mine. It'll be interesting when we get to our 1130, we're going to talk about Thomas. And Thomas makes an exclamation, he exclaims something when he sees the Lord. He says, my Lord and my God. There's a lot in that phrase of what he's recognizing and what he's acknowledging. But this God, behold your God, the shepherd. All right, next week we'll continue and we'll be looking at behold your God, the spirit. And we'll deal with how God works as the Holy Spirit, which will add to this a little bit further.